He could show justice and hit me back with equal force. Or he could show mercy and not hit me at all. But if he hits me lightly, it's really not justice and it's really not mercy. You see, the only way we have a God that's fully just and merciful is by having a God that pays the fine himself because only he can. And then because he paid the full weight of the fine, he can now offer to us forgiveness. Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Well, welcome to another edition of The Rap Report. I'm your host, Andrew Rappaport, the executive director of Striving for Eternity and the Christian podcast community of which this podcast is a proud member. Check out the over 50 vetted podcasts over at christianpodcastcommunity.org, and you can check out everything we do at Striving for Eternity at strivingforeternity.org. Today, we're going to talk about a doctrine, who the dreaded doctrine of justification. Much confusion. Why do I sound like a broken record, actually? I seem to be saying that with each of these doctrines we get into, especially with the doctrine of salvation, that there seems to be much confusion. Well, that is exactly the reason we have a doctrinal statement, and we are going through it in this series. This is the series of what we believe, and if you want to follow along, just go to strivingforeternity.org. Go to the About section, and under there, choose What We Believe, and we're in the doctrine of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. That is the topic we're going to cover today. We're going to cover specifically the doctrine of justification, and I have not one, but two co-hosts with me. We'll have to see if we could figure out their voices. You you listening audience, you'll have to figure out if you could figure out which one identifies as Spencer and which one identifies as Nicole. We'll have to see. Maybe they'll change up their voices. But these are the hosts of, and I should say that we're, what we're doing is trying to grab different folks in as co-hosts for, for me from the Christian podcast community. So each of you get to hear some voices and get to hear some brilliance from other podcasters, and you go check out their podcasts. But Spencer and Nicole are the co-hosts of Religionless Christianity. And if you want to know why they're religionless, you have to go to episode one. I'm just saying, you got to go and binge the whole thing. But they actually have two podcasts on one feed, and I'm going to give them a second to explain. But they have a daily devotion, which is a five-minute daily, and then they have an hour-long one. Those who are long-term listeners of this podcast, you know, I started off the same way and then separated them. So you get something every day. So whichever one of you wants to identify as Spencer. Now, <laughs> I'm saying that, folks, because if you listen to their podcast, you you know that they are very into the discussing the the modern culture <laughs> and, and all the things. What is it you 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 call it? The plunge you play a scream and the the plunge into uh, the the, the slew of desponder. <laughs> yeah, we take our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death before we dive into the news every week. But I do want to say thank you first off for having us. Uh, we're very honored to be here and have this opportunity to co-host with you. And I am Spencer. You didn't figure that out. <laughs> and I am here with my lovely wife, Nikki, my co-host. Nikki, Nicole. He introduced me as Nikki. You called me Nicole. <laughs> Either way. And yeah, we are the ho- or the 
the hosts of Religionless Christianity. We ourselves are very religious, very Christian, but the world and the culture we live in is not anymore. And that's where the religionless comes from. How do you live a Christ-like life in a religionless world? And yeah, every week, Monday through Friday, we just do five-minute daily devotionals, just kind of walking through the Word. It's not the most theologically deep breakdown of verse by verse through the Bible. It's just when we read a section of scripture, what jumps out to us? What are we thinking when we read through it? How can we make it applicable to our lives? That sort of thing. And then Saturday is the big show, usually about an hour to an hour and a half. And we try to look at news of the week and try to understand how should a Christian handle this, you know, whether it's entertainment, culture, politics, how should a Christian digest it and handle it in their lives? And then we do try to add in a Bible topic, you know, a podcast discussion, movie review, something to that effect at the end of the show as well. So that's who we are. And that's what we do, unless you have anything else to add, honey. Uh, nope. That's it. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes listening to you guys go through the news. I, I really think that you're just trying to torture your wife. Yes. You know, like let, let, here's here's <laughs> what we have in the news, honey. And I just yep. I, you, I hear Nikki reading it and like, being like, oh, I can't believe this is in the news. But <laughs> that's what that I was telling my friend. Yeah, my friend Becca that was here visiting, passing through. I was telling her that exact thing. I was like, Spencer's all about the news. And I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> well, and that's the reason why I like having, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of reasons I like having Nikki on the podcast with me, but. She's a great test case because she doesn't read the news. She doesn't watch the news a lot. So a lot of the stuff that we discuss, she's never really heard of. And I'm assuming yeah. some of our listeners, uh, a lot of Christians we know are exactly the same. They yeah. don't really, and because they're probably smart, they avoid the news at all possible. <laughs> but you want to know the world that you live in. So she's a good test case when we bring up stories and she's like, wait, they're doing that? Yes, they're grooming your children in school. Isn't it's that good fun? to know it. Yeah, I think it's important that we talk about it. And I, I'm glad that he brings it up for me. It's good because so many people don't realize. I, I used to. I, I stopped because th this was too much to do. But for many months, I used to listen to LGBT transition podcasts to hear what they're they're talking about it. i i stopped because they're just they're literally so perverted they're, they're i kept trying to find ones that would just describe what it is they're trying to do what their agenda is and not get into all the sexual descriptions and, and it's just it was so perverted i'm like you know as a christian i just could not continue listening because it's just all about their sexual perversion i mean like in graphic detail like that's what their audience wants to hear i guess and and i'm talking like the the big ones the ones that have like thousands and th like 10,000, 100,000 downloads. And I'm like, this is just all complete perversion. And I would do it because so my audience would know what is coming forward, what, what they're looking at. And mm -hmm. so that we see what our culture, where our culture is headed. And I was like, you know, I, there's other ways I can keep in touch. I could read articles that, they, that folks like that put out and, and not have all the talk. So yeah, it is, it is hard. Yeah. I feel like almost like ashamed even like reading the news we read i feel like like i'm disappointing god even like because it's shameful to even speak of the things you know i don't know what that scripture is but even ephesians 5 let me just ask do you feel like you need a shower after reading the news because sometimes i do <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah we do i mean it's something that we read and discuss and even when we're writing our notes out and stuff you're like it's just I mean, so dirty 
it's like it's disheartening oh folks today we're gonna do you'll get used to the, the nikki's and and uh, spencer's voice because we're gonna have them on for what i'm gonna be doing throughout the series what some of the guys decided was that i should bring in different co-hosts from the christian podcast community so you're gonna get three four episodes with each of the the different podcasts so with 50 podcasts this could take a long time this could be several <laughs> years before <laughs> we settle down but we're doing that so you guys could get to hear some other voices and get to know some of the other podcasts at the Christian podcast community. So let's dig into the topic that we have today of justification. I'm going to ask if one of you would like to read the section of the doctrinal statement on justification. And again, for those, not if you're driving, if you're driving, either pull over if you want to read it along with us. But if not, just listen, you can read later. It'll be in the show notes. But if you want to follow along, it's at strivingforattorney.org. Go to the About section under What We Believe. And again, before we read it, I'll just mention the reason we started this whole series was so that we could realize that doctrinal statements are important. How do you know whether to find a good church? Well, you want to read their doctrinal statement. And what we're trying to do is show you with, with our doctrinal statement, everything that's in there and all the stuff that's not in there. You're going to see we're going to end up discussing a lot of things today that are not listed specifically in the doctrinal statement, but they are, and what we're trying to answer. So what we'll do is go through, read through the doctrinal statement, and do as we've been doing in this series. If you're in, at this point, you're 20-some episodes in, but go back to the original one and the start of the series and go through them, and you'll see that these build upon each other. So if you wouldn't mind reading the section on justification. Okay, it says, justification before God is an act of God by which he legally declares righteous those who, through faith in Christ, repent of their sins and confess him as sovereign Lord. This righteousness is apart from any virtue or work of man and involves the imputation of our sins to Christ and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. Hence, God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thank you. And so this topic of justification, this is building, if you listen to previous episodes, this is building right where we left off, right? We, we started off this whole discussion of salvation with regeneration. And if you think about it, that actually came from where, where we are as a man, men, human beings, that we're sinful. So the next thing is we need regeneration. We talked about that. And then we talked about election last two episodes. And we talked about the fact in election that this is God's side of the discussion. Well, again, with justification, this is this is a work God does. That's why it says we say justification before God is an act of God. This is not something that you and I can claim some sort of ability to do we cannot justify ourselves we're going to get into this because this is the main issue when it comes to justification you have two different views of justification you have a view that we justify ourselves by works or the biblical way god justifies us by what he does and we play no role in that so it's it's one of those two that we're going to end up being now, what Romans 8.33 says, who will bring a charge against God's elect, God is the one who justifies. Now, that's that seems pretty clear that 
it's God who justifies, because actually that's exactly what it says. Surprise. So when you have people that say, well, we can justify ourselves, what they're ultimately doing is revealing that they have a works-based man-made religion. And this is what we end up seeing when why we're saying that right out of the gate with, with justification, we at Shriving Turner are trying to say, justification is an act of God. You and I cannot justify ourselves. We can't bribe God with good works. We can't buy our way in with good works. It's an act that only God can do. I think this is something that is a stumbling block for people, whether it's from their specific faith group or just maybe that American individualism, uh, man's pride and ego, but you know, the idea of sort of divine accomplishment or you can't help God, you can't do anything. It's simply a work of God. And I think our pride can cause that to be something that holds some people back from really wanting to accept this idea of justification by faith in God alone. Yeah, because th this is such a major issue, because when you think about it, I, I always teach there's only two religions. This is always fun to do when I'm on the streets doing evangelism. I get up on a box, and I go, how many religions are there in the world? And you get shouts of hundreds to thousands. And and I go, there's two. And people go, huh? Yeah, there's, there's really only two. There's divine religion and man-made religion. Now the question is, how do we know which one's which, right? Because that's that's what it comes down to. And how do you know which one's which? I, I was speaking to a guy last night. He's Roman Catholic. And I, I said, look, there's one thing that sets Christianity unique from every other world religion. I said, it's the fact that every man-made religion has human effort. God says he saves you, but humans say, well, we, we add something. We do good works. You know, I said, if you're, he's Catholic, I said, well, in your religion, it would be it'd be faith plus works. In Islam, it's one good deed counts for 10 bad deeds. In rabbinic Judaism, which is not biblical Judaism, there's a difference. But the modern Judaism we know today, it's doing Torah, it's obeying the law. That Those are all works. And so what we end up seeing is there's two religions. And justification by, by God is what sets apart divine religion from man-made. You know, I was just thinking on what a blessing it is this to learn like the doctrine of depravity. I don't know any other religions that even have something similar to that. But if you're, you know, your need, you know, that you can't, you can't even try to be righteous enough. Like it's, it's not possible that it isn't just the idea that it isn't possible. Cause I think some people maybe think it might be possible or it could be possible for some to have their own righteousness that God would be, that he would accept. Yeah. It, it, it's quite interesting because I, I was preaching yesterday in church and I mentioned Joel Stein's book, Your Best Life Now. And I mentioned if this is your best life, then you have hell to look forward to. I, I'm yeah. thinking, I'm thinking of, I, I, this is what I said. I said, I'm thinking of writing a book, Your Worst Life Now. Right. That that would sell, I'm sure. Right. Hey, get a copy of your worst life now, because you're right. People that have a man-made religion want to praise men and their efforts, mm -hmm. how good we are. And this is completely opposite. Now, when we say when we say that justification before God is an act of God, what this is saying, and this is consistent with what we've been saying when we talked about regeneration, election, and when we talked even total depravity, we talked about the fact that because of our human nature, this can only be an act of God. We can't save ourselves. 
And this, there's, this presents an issue for many people because what we're saying is that by saying that it's an act of God, what it, we're not saying or what we're saying, speaking against is the idea of a works-based system. And every man-made religion, which is every religion other than biblical Christianity, is a man-made system. So I got news for you as a listener. You are going to have to deal with the issue of justification by faith alone all the time. This whole idea of justification, it doesn't matter who you speak with, any unbeliever, you're going to have to deal with this issue. If if they're involved in any religious system, because every one of their religious systems are going to deal with the fact that they believe works are part of their salvation or getting right before God. And that's where we talk, the way I speak of it is getting right before God to avoid this vague term that people have because it's so deluded is saved. What are you saved from? People don't know. And that's why when I talk to people, I talk about justification, which they don't understand. So then I get to explain it. Or I'll say, are you right with God? And they they understand what it means to be right with God because we understand when we're not right with somebody. Yeah. When people in these other religions where it is works-based, do they have um, assurance of, they can't call it salvation, but I guess assurance of heaven, whatever their heaven is. If it's works-based, do they really have that 100% assurance? No, not really. In fact, if you look like in Islam, you're, you should never think that you're guaranteed like that's like that's almost anathema to think that you you know for sure the only way to know for sure in Islam that you are going to heaven and this is in the hadiths is to die in a holy war in a jihad and that explains why so many people that could be wicked criminals would be willing to die in what they call a holy war i mean you think about the the what we end up knowing about the hijackers in 911 those that hijacked the planes and flew them into the towers of the, the twin towers, they were getting lap dances at a strip joint the night before. And you go like, how could they, like, it, 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 that makes no sense. How could you say you're doing something for religious reasons and they doing that the night before? Because in their religion, this was the only way guaranteed and that they thought, Hey, I'm going to be ushered into heaven by this one act. Cause anything else would be wrong. Mormonism, which teaches that, you have to be absolutely perfect, sinlessly perfect. You never know if you are. Talk to a Mormon and ask, okay, are you there? They'll say no, because none of us can keep that. Now, I know, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, there is a, a branch within Christianity called sinless perfectionism, where they believe as Christians, we must be sinlessly perfect. We've, we've covered that, and we're going to cover that in the next section on sanctification big time. But no, you can't be sinlessly perfect because you still have indwelling sin. And, and I always like my friend Matt Slick says, says anyone who believes they're sinlessly perfect, just spend 10 minutes with him and he'll get them angry enough to, to reveal <laughs> they're not sinlessly <laughs> perfect. <laughs> but yeah. the reality is when we talk about justification, there is one passage that everybody turns to to say, that works are necessary for salvation. Spencer, you know what passage that is, right? Yeah, so I think you're kind of talking here about James chapter 2, where James kind of talks about faith plus works. And, you know, a lot of times, and we've had discussions with 
Roman Catholics before, and they'll point to this and they'll say, well, James and Paul disagreed, you know, because Paul talks about faith alone, but James clearly describes justification is through faith and works. And that's one of their big sort of verses they like to go to. And the reason they go to it is because it seems, so I'm saying seems, to clearly say faith without works is dead. And though they love to quote that in verse 26, okay, the context gives us something different. Now, one thing you don't see people do is start at verse 14. So let me start reading some of this, and I'm going to start in verse 14 and just work through this in a bit. James 2.14 says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but has no works? Can that faith save him? So right off the bat, what we're dealing with is not a saving faith. We're dealing with someone that professes to be a believer, but is not a believer. How do we know they're not a believer? Because they don't have the works that go along with salvation. That's the thing that James is talking now in the broader context. Whenever you interpret, context is king. You must understand the context. The broader context of James, what James's purpose is, is to reveal this is what salvation looks like. This is what genuine faith looks like. So he's taught, he gives about a dozen plus different ways of testing yourself to know if you're in the faith. One of them is, do you have the works that go along with the faith? And I was just thinking on like the fruit of the spirit. It's like the work that we do is belief and abiding in his word. So those works that people see are just like the fruits of the spirit. And it isn't anything that we do. Like I can't make myself not be an angry person. Like I can't cause myself to just be patient. Like that is just abiding with God, abiding in his word. And, and that's just going to happen. It's his work. We can only say all I've done is abide in God and it's, it's his work in me. Well, well Nikki, as, as a mother, if you had your children and you have, you have a small brood of, of children there, you know, working on your, on a basketball team or something, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, if it was, if you had a five-year-old, and still in a crib, still just drinking milk out of a bottle. Is that healthy? No. No. Is, is, would that be the norm? Would that be what you'd expect for a child? Nope. No. So the expectation is, as a believer, we would naturally have the works that a believer would have. So if we have someone mm -hmm. that's in church for 20, 30 years, and they're still acting like a newborn, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And I would say that would be my fault not working in my child or giving them what they need to be nourished and grow properly. And God will do that for his children. He will not leave us as orphans and just drinking milk and leaving us on our own. So so the blame would fall on me as a mom, but we can't blame God because if well, he's you not, are his well, child. That's the, thing. He's not, that's the whole point. God is not going to fail. God indwells right. us for the purpose of, and we'll talk about this next episode of sanctification. He he works in us for that specific reason. So we're going to grow in our faith if we're a believer, and we're going to have the works. So the the first thing, if if you and you have to when you deal with justification, you have to deal with James chapter two, fourteen and following. You have to because 
you're going to come up with this with whether it's Catholics, it's Mormons, it's Jehovah Witnesses, any group that uses the New Testament is going to turn to James 2 to justify their justification by works. Every one of them. I don't know if now is a good time to bring it up, but there's a second verse that they'll go to a lot as well. Um, and this is Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And I'll just read it here. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is it in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So they'll point to this one a lot too and go, well, see, James tells you works. And now here, Paul as well is telling you to work out your own faith. Yeah. So let's let's cover that because what you have here is, and when we started this series on and got to the section of salvation, doctrine of salvation, we've covered this. But it's always good to have the reminder because, well, some of you weren't listening. You were driving and not paying full attention. No, but it's good because we need that repetition. We need to the reminder. That's why so much scripture is repetitious. But the word salvation that we use is a very general term, and sometimes we use it for a specific. The word can have three different meanings theologically. It could mean regeneration, that point in time where you went from being an enemy of God to a child of God, where God does something in you and you become converted. That is what some will refer to as salvation past tense. That's in the past for those who are believers. Mm. If you are converted, then you're in the in the part of salvation that's also referred to as salvation and the salvation specifically that Philippians is referring to of sanctification that we'll get to in the next episode that talks about that process of salvation that starts at regeneration and goes until the moment we die. And it's the process of being made more and more in the image of Christ. And that is the same as, as we'll, I'll go back to James 2 and talk about, that's the same that's discussed in James 2. It's that sanctification, and works are involved in our sanctification. The work of love, that's a major one, that's the fruit of the mm-hmm. Spirit, is love. We should be identified, we should be marked as believers by our love for God and love for others. And so that is sanctification, but that's also referred to as salvation, and specifically in Philippians, that's what Paul's referring to. Work out your salvation, your sanctification. We have, to be more precise, gone from using the word salvation to be more precise and use them in three senses. Salvation past tense, regeneration. Salvation present tense, sanctification. Salvation future, glorification. The moment we die and we're done with this body of sin and we're glorified. So when we speak of salvation in Scripture, we have to be reminded that the authors of the New Testament are not as precise as we've become afterwards because of error. By the way, go through history, go through church history, you're always going to see the reason we have such precision in our theology is usually because error cropped up. Why did we have in the Reformation period so much focus on doctrines like justification because the Catholic Church was teaching justification by works and the error crept up so that needed to be responded to. And so let me just quickly continue with James 2, just so you see this, because he's, what we have to realize is James throughout the book is dealing with sanctification. How do you know you are a believer? So when he says in verse 15, if a brother or sister says you're without clothes and you say, go and be warm, 
Like that's not what a Christian would do. A Christian would take care of their fellow believer. And so in verse 18, he says, but if somebody says, right, if someone may well say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. What, what he's saying there is that the works are the natural progression of sanctification. If you are saved, you will have works of a Christian. And so the whole thing he's focused when he says in verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. He's not saying you need faith plus works to be regenerated. He's saying if you claim you are regenerated, let me see those works. In other words, if you're regenerated, you'll have the works that go along with it. You'll be sanctified. Yeah. And even, you know, the very end of the book of James, chapter five, I think verse 19 and 20, where he talks about if your brother wanders from the faith and you bring him back, you saved a soul. Well, how do you know if he's wandered? How do you know if he's living right? If he doesn't have these works that are evident in his life to know if he's living according to the gospel and according to the commandments of God, well, you have to have something to verify that with. And these are the works that he's talking about. Yeah. Show Say you have faith, let me see the works that should accompany that. We would expect that if somebody is going to claim, if you're going to claim to be a medical doctor, you should understand something of the human body, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. If someone, are you going to go to a medical doctor that you say, you know, doctor, I, I need to have heart surgery? And he goes, yeah, you know, um, I, I think I've read something about the heart before, right? He, or if he doesn't know where the heart is, you know, mm -hmm. he goes to your knee to look for your heart. You're going to go, uh, I'm going to find a new doctor. Why? Because the doctor, the guy who's claiming to be a doctor reveals he doesn't know anything about being a doctor. He's just professing to be a doctor. He's being a hypocrite. He's pretending to be a doctor and he's not a doctor. Yeah. Me and Spencer have talked about before how like the, the outward signs that we see, like, in other people or in ourselves so that we, because those signs reveal their heart because we don't know someone's heart. So we need the signs. God knows the heart. Like he doesn't necessarily need the signs. So when I'm thinking like Abraham believed God and it was a credit to him for righteousness. But then we hear others, they have like a act, like a, their faith had works. Abraham's was just belief. Like God saw his belief his faith. yeah and that's actually the example that that gets used throughout scripture is that how do we know abraham was a believer it, look at his acts look at his behavior it's not that the behavior saved him the works didn't save him the works demonstrate that he is a believer i mean it wouldn't it be so easy just if everyone had a big e on their forehead if they were elect i mean evangelism would be so much easier you just walk up to a person and go, do you believe yet? No? Okay, let me tell you the gospel. And then you don't have to waste your time with the people <laughs> who are elect, right? That'd be yeah. so easy. God doesn't do that for us, right? And God demonstrates to us. Like he could just say, I am this, I am that, take my word for it. But he's demonstrated in acts, in his acts, everything about him. So you said earlier, how do, do these false religions have an assurance of salvation? Where do we get our assurance of salvation from? The book of James is giving us 13 ways to test ourselves. And what are they all? It's look at your life and say, 
Am I behaving the way a Christian would behave? Do I show preference to people with money or do I just say, I'm going to show no preference and, and do all? Do I watch my tongue? Do I have the works of it? All of these things are things that he's saying, examine your life. Am I living the way a Christian would live? And if the answer is yes, it's like, ah, so I, I must have faith. And not just for other people, because we know ourselves better, right? Mm-hmm. We know if we're faking it. I, I remember a guy who came to church. He was wanted to date a young lady. He was a bartender. He came in, pretended to be a Christian, was at every, I mean, Sunday school, Wednesday night, I mean, Sunday evening, he never missed anything for three plus years that the church did. He was at every, and even if she wasn't involved, he was active. And then it was announced and, and he just, he was always trying to date her. But then it was announced she was getting married. And all of a sudden, the guy disappeared. And three in the morning, I'm, I go over to the bar because I knew he found out he was back at the bar. And so bartending. And so the, the thing you don't want is to come out of work at three in the morning and see me sitting on your car at three in the morning. And <laughs> you never want to ask me to keep you accountable because I actually will do it. I, I go, I'll go out of my way. So he sees me, he comes to his car and he, with a bunch of guys and he sees me and he's like, uh, Guys, I'll talk to you later. And he comes over and he literally just told me, hey, I was just, I was faking it because I just oh, wanted wow. to date Suzanne. And I mean, he did, like, you'd look at him and he he outwardly had everything that looked like a believer. Inwardly, he knew he was faking it the whole time. And even it, like, the, we've only gotten to one part of one sentence here, but there's so much in this that we want to cover in this because this is a major issue when it comes to justification. That this is an act that God does, not we do. That's a major distinction. So let's let's define what is justification. We do it here in the in the statement. Justification before God is an act of God by which He, He being God, legally declares righteous those through faith in Christ repent of their sins. So what we're trying to do here is say that this is a legal act. Justification is actually a legal term. It, it means to be set free. And how are we set free? So, so God declares we are now just. We're set free. We're, we're set free to be righteous. But how? Through faith in Christ. Now, we're also saying through repent of sin, repenting of sins. Now, we've talked about repentance already. This is something where... We were talking pre-show, and I know that Spencer was asking the the question that he wanted to raise of, is repentance a work? Because there's people who say that. Well, no, repentance is a response to God working in us. Now, we've talked about the doctrine of superintending, and I did a whole bonus episode on that. I I actually preached in, in church. I'm down here in Florida, in Orlando, Florida. Got the privilege of preaching at Beulah Baptist Church, a great church in Winter Garden, if you're ever down there. and I was preaching on the doctrine of salvation, which I was asked to preach on. And we talked about the doctrine of superintending. So go back to a few episodes, listen to that, because it's a very important episode in understanding this difference of regeneration, how God works through us in such a way that though we make choices to repent, it's actually God bringing us to that choice. So God gets all the credit. We can't take any, but it, it explains how we could choose God and God chooses, really God chooses us. It explains this what's seeming to be a contradiction, uh, which is always great when I'm I'm preaching something like that. And I hear someone as I get to the point of explaining, and if you listen to that previous episode on superintending, when I explain how they're superintending, is we see it in sanctify in in 
inspiration of scripture. We see it in sanctification. And I'm just about to mention how we can see it in regeneration. And all of a sudden, someone in the front goes, wow, like the light bulb moment that he got. I didn't even get to regeneration. And he was like, that makes sense. And he was so excited. He actually spoke out. <laughs> well, and isn't it, I guess, even kind of silly because the notion that repentance is a work, but repentance isn't even something we can do on our own. Repentance is a gift granted to us from God. I can't say, well, no, Lord, I, I did that sin yesterday, but I forgive me for it. And then that just somehow makes it go away. God has to actually grant me the forgiveness of it. So you're basically saying, in a sense, that God granting me a gift somehow negates my free gift of salvation. That just see, I mean, God can't negate himself almost because repentance is his gift towards us. Yeah. And that's why when we talked about regeneration, we talked about that regeneration is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do supernatural works, right? And so people will try to say, oh, but we can choose. And see, this is the thing. I'll say, yes, we can. We just can't do it apart from God because God mm -hmm. superintends. He works through us so that even the choices we make are exactly as God intended them to be such that God gets all the credit. We see that in salvation. When James wrote James, he did it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's God working through him. So he chose what words to write, but those were the words God intended to be written. Yeah. And the order in that is, it happens, are you like, you're spiritually born again when you repent? Is that correct? Is that the order you'd say? Well, see, this is where, and we talked about this in the, in the, section on regeneration, because so many people struggle with the, the order salutis is what it's called, the order of salvation. And people struggle over that chronologically. Either order that people have, I, I'm going to say is wrong, right? Because chronologically, you don't have a point where you were an unregenerate believer or a regenerate unbeliever, right? You can't have either one. So regeneration and belief have to be simultaneous, Logically, though, we would say that regeneration precedes faith, logically, because we're saying that God has to do that work first. But so many people, because we talk about that in a logical sense, they start to think of it in a chronological sense, mm -hmm. and hence the problems. And so I, I try to avoid the whole order salutis, logical or chronological, by talking about the doctrine of superintending that God works through us such that the choices we make are exactly as God intended them to be, such that he gets all the credit. If you're following in the series, folks, you've heard me say this. I'm repeating it multiple times because this is difficult for some people to, to understand. I had so many people come up to me after church on Sunday say, man, I got to think through that again. That really made a lot of sense, but it struggles, or, or they have other family members that they're like, you made this so simple, but I have so many difficult conversations on these issues of God's sovereignty, human responsibility. And the reality is, is people have difficulty with it because they're committed to a theological system that teaches one or the other. Mm -hmm. And the answer is both. It's not an mm -hmm. either or, it's a both and. And so therefore, the scripture is quite clear. And it is something that becomes easy to understand unless you're committed to a theological system that makes it hard to give up. And if you want, just search uh, on YouTube for Beulah Baptist Church and the and search for my my message there if you want to listen to it. But <clears throat> when we talk about this, we we're we want to understand what justification is. It's a legal term. It, it's a judge passing a sentence. 
So the judge is passing the sentence guilty or innocent. There's actually a different one, by the way. Folks don't always realize this. I had a, a believer in Christ that I went to church with, and he went to court and it was voided. Now, voided is is really interesting. What voided means is it should never have gone to court. He basically worked as a military police. And Spencer, you work in the military. You understand military police. He worked as a dispatcher for the military police. And the police actually were, the military at the time was covering up a rape case. And they would not deal with it. And he kept trying to get attention to it. He ended up going to the FBI and they fired him. And they brought charges against him so that he couldn't get his pension. And when it got before the judge and the judge looked at the evidence, he actually voided the case, said, this should never have happened. I bring that up because when we talk about justification, there's people that say justification means just as if I never sinned. That would be to void the case. That would be to say, this should never have happened. If you never sinned, it would be unjust for God to bring you before his court. Mm. That would be a case where it should be voided. The only one that should ever have been voided would be Christ himself. So it, I understand the, the thinking behind this. The thinking behind justification is just as if I never sinned is to say that we, because of what Jesus Christ did, he paid the penalty and we no longer have the guilt of it. It's been paid. That is not voided and is not not innocent. I know that's a double negative. It was on purpose. <laughs> to say someone is innocent is to, to be, okay, you have not committed the crime, but we have committed the crime. That's the whole thing of justification here. We are guilty. Christ is not guilty. He paid it for us. That's what justification actually is. It's a legal term to say your crime has been paid for. It's as if you you had a $10 million fine and someone else pays that fine because you're incapable. The judge doesn't say you're innocent. He doesn't say you're not guilty. He says you're paid in full. That's justification. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if maybe this is out of left field or not the right time to bring it up, but is this a problem with our modern style of church? You know, you call it seeker sensitive if you want, or any of the other names where we don't really preach on sin so much. God's kind of there to help you overcome battles. <laughs> He's there to supercharge your life. But we don't really, you know, when you look at the Puritans and the Reformers, I mean, go and listen to sinners in the hands of an angry God. And we don't preach that way anymore. So we don't think that we even really have sins that are that bad. Yeah. So somehow, yeah, we can be innocent before God or even going back to working your own salvation. Is it just because we don't actually hear how sinful and depraved we really are? Because Spencer, the the gospel message we hear today is that God has a Spencer hole shaped hole in his heart and he needs <laughs> you. I mean, that's, yeah, he's there for me. That's essentially the message, right? I mean, you think about it. It's not worded that way, but the way people share the gospel is God created humans because he, like, he's missing something. He wanted fellowship with us. No, he had fellowship within the Trinity. He doesn't need us. 
Yeah. But you're right. So much of the gospel presentation that we hear today has really watered down this idea of justification because they've watered down the gospel to avoid things like God's wrath, just the fact that God is just and he's going to punish the idea that there's a hell, like those things aren't popular. And if you want to build a big church, you've got to avoid those things so that you have, you know, butts in the pew so that people will give the money to do your big ministry. Um, God never, I, this may be a shock for some pastors. God doesn't actually need a lot of people in the pews to give lots of money to do the ministry that God wants to do. He could do that mm-hmm. any way he wants. With or without you, Pastor. <laughs> right? These people that try to do all this marketing and figure out a way to build the church. It's God's church. You want to build it? Yeah. Let him build it. Here's an idea. Uh-huh. You want to you want to see God build his church? Get out of his way. <laughs> Stop trying to do it yourself. <laughs> I know people like the idea that God needs them. Like I helped God. I I got all these people saved for you, God. Look. Like like this is a boastful thing. You know, it's funny you said, I, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but I, we were at a church and we were attending a church, me and this other guy who was, we both traveled and spoke and he was preaching for, there's a pastor who had been, he was out for surgery. And so we were taking turns preaching for him for, for a month while he was out. And my friend Brian preaches and this woman gets saved. And Brian's so excited. He tells the pastor, like he's thinking the pastor's going to be excited. And the pastor's like, she got saved months, ago, you know, like three, four years ago from my wife, you know? And it was like, and literally wow. this pastor wanted nothing to do with Brian, like just ushered him out. Like he, he basically was like, you don't need to preach. Like he came back, even though he was, he was sick and struggling. He came back to preach because he was so offended that like, I know, it was like, Brian was like, was it a notch on the belt for this guy? Like, you know, wow. but you're right. There is a lot of that. Where, where people do get like that. And when we understand justification properly, we understand this is something God does. We have we have no say in this matter. And and we're so we're saying that this is this is a legal declaration, but we're being more specific with it is how do people get saved? We're saying when through faith in Christ, and, and the words that, that we see in the reformers are alone, right? We're we're justified by Christ alone in faith alone. Right? Why do we add these words? Because we're trying to say it's not by works. When we have the five solos, that is a doctrinal statement. The same as what we're doing here. It's just that we've gone into more detail. And so we're saying that repentance of their sins is, is important. Now, when I share the gospel, I don't tell people to repent of their sins. Okay, They need to. They need to turn from the guilt of sin. I actually say sin singular. Because there's a difference when you ask someone, you got to turn from sins and turn to Christ. So stop doing bad deeds. Well, that's works, right? If you communicate that you, that we're turning from works, turning from bad works, and you leave it there, and you don't say turn to Christ, because so many people do this, they say, you have to repent of your sins. Well, then that's not telling them what to turn to. So what I'll say is you got to repent of sin. What do you got to repent of? You're, you're that prideful idea that you could be a good person or you could do good works. But repentance means a turning. If, if you don't communicate what they turn to, mm-hmm. 
then you haven't communicated the full message of the gospel and, and what repentance is. So we say repentance of sins here because we we have the idea, the understanding, as we said when we talked about this in the section on repentance, this is turning from those sinful deeds and actions of pride and selfishness and turning to Christ. And then we we say here the second, and this is Romans 10, 9, and 10, to confess him as sovereign Lord. You you don't just repent of sins, but it's the putting off of the sinful nature, putting on the glorified nature, but it's not we don't have yet, but the really this is what we would see in 2 Corinthians 5 21, one of my favorite passages. It's actually referred to further down, but it's putting on the righteousness of Christ. So we put off our sinful deeds and put on the righteousness of Christ. In following with that, you see in the doctrinal statement, it says, this righteousness is a part of any virtue or work of man. And we've been saying that throughout, right? The whole idea of this doctrinal statement in the way it's worded is to make it clear that this righteousness that we now have as believers is not something we could take credit for. And when people say that, they did a work, or they even if they say that they chose Christ, and then because they chose Christ, God afterwards, chronologically, then saved them or brought them to, to repentance, or that they repented, or however they want to word it, that their regeneration occurred because of their choice, then they have some virtue. And that's why I worded this, this righteousness is apart from any virtue or work of man. We've talked a lot about the works, but now let's talk about the virtue. There are many professing believers who say, well, I chose God, and therefore God was somehow obligated to bring me into the fold. No, it, it doesn't work that way. And that's that's actually why there's so many false believers and hypocrites out there that say, well, I, I chose God, and then later they're going to they come out as atheists, go, well, I was a Christian. No, you weren't. 1 John 2.19 says very clearly, you went out from among us because you were never of us. You went out to expose you were not of us. You were a hypocrite that stopped pretending. And they hate when I say that. But the reality is, what did they trust for their justification? Their virtue. Mm. They're, they're saying a prayer, walking an aisle, making a choice. In each of those, it's their virtue that they're appealing to. In Scripture, I mean, especially the Apostle Paul is quite clear. I mean, what is Ephesians 2? I mean, makes the point that this is not something you can do so that you can't boast. It removes any opportunity for you to boast because you you can't add anything to it yourself. I mean, it, I feel like it's very clear. Again, I mean, the man-made religion gets that wrong, but I feel like Scripture makes that evident over and over again. Something apart from you that you cannot boast over it. Mm -hmm. See, and, and the people that we're speaking, though, are going to respond to you and say, but that's works. I'm not talking works. I'm talking my choice, my repentance, mm -hmm. something I did, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And the, those people who walked away from God and they're saying, like you said, I used to be a Christian, but I walked away. Then they're admitting that they believed a different religion than Christianity because they're saying it was in their power to choose to walk away when really it's God who holds on to you. Yeah, Nikki, you make a great point that I, I usually when I deal with people that claim that make this claim, I used to be a Christian. I'll ask them, so you're telling me you were a Christian? Yes. So your ultimate authority was God and his word. And they, it's amazing. They always say yes. 
I go, so then how did you walk away? Yeah. Like, oh, because I studied this. I studied that. I said, but but then the Bible wasn't your ultimate authority. God and the Bible were not your ultimate authority. Right. And it's like, sometimes you get the light bulb. Usually they don't. But it's like, no, you're, you were not a Christian the way the Bible describes a Christian. Your ultimate right. authority was not God and the Bible. Your ultimate authority was you. And when you wanted to believe you're a Christian, that's what your ultimate authority said. And when you didn't want to be, be pretend, you know, when you stopped pretending, your ultimate authority said you weren't a Christian, but you're your ultimate authority. So when we say this, I mean, this is, that's why we, we put in here virtue and works. So, and I know this is a run on sentence. I get it. I was never good in English. <laughs> this is one long run on sentence in, in the doctrinal statement, right? Justification before God is an act of God by which he legally declares righteous those who, through faith in Christ, repent of their sins and confess him as sovereign Lord. That's a long run on sentence. Before we continue it, because I, I want to jump into this righteousness, we, we actually kind of started it, right? But it, I, I've failed because we've had such a great discussion. I, I failed to give a word to our sponsor, which I should have done much earlier. Um, <laughs> I hope Mike Liddell's not listening to this episode. <laughs> but but uh, we, we got a word for our sponsor, which is my pillow. Uh, if you guys want to get a good night's sleep, now I've, I've, we're gonna we're gonna realize that Spencer and Nikki have talked on their podcast. They they know I've called Spencer before and said I got a solution to your sleeping problems because they on their show talked about sleeping problems. I said you need a my pillow mattress topper, and I, I don't know if you guys have have you tried that one yet? Have you solved your sleep dilemmas? We have solved. We don't have the my pillow mattress topper. We do have a my pillow pillow, mm -hmm. which we very much enjoy, and uh, the bed is nice. Although I keep hearing about, you know, the my pillow, and every time I'll go on a jog and I listen to a podcast, or whatever, and I'm like, well, I should try the slippers. They sound awesome. I love the slippers, but for you guys, since you guys, for folks who have not listened to. You Folks, you need to go back to religious Christianity. Go back and listen to previous episodes where they they had this discussion over, you know, the fact that let's just call it what it is. You know, Spencer just was too cheap to get Nikki the the, <laughs> the, the bed she needs. No. <laughs> no, they were trying all these different beds, and I just said, get the mattress topper. I loved my mattress topper at my pillow, so I I thrilled. I do love the slippers. I I just got a new pair for the because I had I had winter ones and I actually bought the ones that aren't all the fluffy ones so I was using those for this in the spring and I like those but uh, if you want to get a great discount from them go to mypillow.com use the promo code SFE stands for striving for eternity that lets them know that you heard about them here so that they keep sponsoring the show we'll be having a new sponsor soon was speaking with someone yesterday we're working out the details so uh, the other sponsor here is Lagos Bible Software. And actually, I, I got to give credit where credit's due to Spencer and Nikki. So on their show, they, they're also sponsored by Lagos, and they have their own page for Lagos. And I heard them referring to their page, and I went, wait a minute, uh, they have an easier page to do. And so I called Lagos and said, Hey, I, I want this easier one. Instead of, I always would give the bit.ly dot to have a short link. I created a link. Well, they said, okay, we could do that for you. So the new page to go, if you want to get Lagos 10 upgrade to Lagos 10, or maybe you're new to it, go to Lagos.com. That's L O G O S.com slash S F E stands for striving for attorney. I, but I had to get one that was a little bit shorter than you guys had. 
I had to. That makes sense. <laughs> You're the executive director. You deserve the better link. <laughs> no, I'm just, I just realized that I'm lazy and I prefer something shorter. <laughs> I mean, striving for training is just way too long to type. SFE is so much easier. <laughs> much easier. So when we talk about this, the, the fact that righteousness, the righteousness is apart from any virtue of man, we, we also say here, and involves the imputation of our sins to Christ and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. This is what is taught in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says that though he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is Martin Luther referred to as the great transaction. I remember in seminary, this is what seminary students do. You you sit and debate over completely and utterly useless things. Okay. That's that's seminary for you. But I remember sitting around, we're sitting around talking, and and one of the guys goes, What is the core of the gospel? What like can you reduce the gospel down to, you know, a few things? Like, what is it that is the minimalistic thing you need for the gospel? And I thought I was being really ingenious. And I said, well, Romans 9 and 10, you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that, you know, he rose from the dead. So confess and believe. That's it. Two things. I thought I was brilliant. I got it down to, because there were people coming up with a list of five and, you know, people were doing all the, you know, the, the, if you have any evangelism training, they have like five things that you, you have to do, you know, know in an outline. And, and I thought I was being brilliant by two. And this one guy that, you know, and there's always that guy in the crowd that speaks very little. And when he speaks, he says everything that needs to be said. Mm-hmm. He just, as everyone's discussing it, everyone's like going, oh, Andrew, that's good too. Yeah. Believe and confess. That's just two. And this guy just looks quietly and goes, imputation. <laughs> and all of us just fell silent, looked at him. And it was like, we just kind of did the head bow. Like, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Once you understand the doctrine of imputation, you understand the full gospel message. It's, it's there. It's, it's the fact that, as we say here, that our sins, the, now when we say our sins, it's, it's the, the punishment of our sins. It doesn't mean that Jesus becomes somehow a sinner. It's not that. That's not possible. It means that he took on the punishment of sin, the sin that we owe, eternity in a lake of fire, the consequence of sin. He took that on himself. He paid that so that then he can offer to us his righteousness. And so what we see in that is this, Christ, because he's an eternal being, even though the death on the cross was a three-hour period in time, that three hours was suffered by an eternal being, and him being an eternal being had an eternal consequence. We really can't comprehend eternity. We, we can't comprehend what it means for God to be eternal. The way I always explain it is right now, Adam and Eve are in the garden. Abraham's offering Isaac. David is slewing Goliath. We're having this recording right now. You're listening to it. Jesus is on the cross. It's the same eternal now to God. We can't comprehend like that. But for Jesus being on that cross for three hours, it was an eternal thing. Mm. And that's how it's an eternal consequence. So he took that sin upon himself and offers to us his righteousness. And, And let me just say this. I said what makes Christianity unique. 
And if you get my book, What Do They Believe? You'll see in the epilogue, I say there's three things that make Christianity unique. I was talking to a guy last night and I was sharing these three things with him and he, he just looks at me and says, Andrew, you're blowing my mind. I have never thought of these things because I said there's only two religions to him. I already said that Christ doing all the work on the cross, is that's unique to Christianity, that God does all the work and we don't add to it. Mm. But this is another justification in the sense of the imputation, because what we see is that we have justice and mercy. And you can ask anybody who believes in God, is God just? As I did to this Catholic last night, is God just? He said, yes. Is God merciful? He said, yes. How could that be? Justice and mercy are mutually exclusive. If the law says that if I hit Spencer, I would not do it. I've seen his his guns there, and I'm not talking his <laughs> physical guns, you know, his arms there that he's got. <laughs> he's he He works out quite a bit. What we see is the reality that we have a law that says if I hit Spencer, Spencer must hit me back with equal force. Now I could, he could show justice and hit me back with equal force, or he could show mercy and not hit me at all. But if he hits me lightly, it's really not justice and it's really not mercy. Mm-hmm. You see, the only way we have a God that's fully just and merciful is by having a God that pays the fine himself because only he can. And then because he paid the full weight of the fine, he can now offer to us forgiveness, mercy. Mm -hmm. So it makes Christianity unique. The other thing, just to wrap it up, the other thing that makes Christianity unique is it's the only religion based on a person, not a system of teaching, Mm -hmm. right? Because without, it's because Jesus is fully God, fully man. That's why he could pay the fine. That's what makes it all about Jesus and not a system or teaching. Well, that's, you know, I think a good point in the idea of salvation justification is that, you know, your salvation isn't just based on sinlessness, that Jesus takes away your sin, but it also has to have his righteousness added to it. You have to be sinless and righteous, because if you're just sinless, then you're just that moral, neutral, nothing, but you actually have to adhere and, you know, live out the righteousness. And that's why because we've, if you sinned once, you've sinned a thousand times, it makes no difference. You've sinned against God. So we need the sinless life of Christ and his righteousness added to us, which is, again, is something we cannot, we can't add Christ's life to us <laughs> by ourselves. He has to add it mm-hmm. himself, his righteousness. So you have to have both in order for that salvation to take hold. That's a great lead into the last sentence here in the doctrinal statement. Hence, God is both the just and the mm. justifier, the one who has faith in Christ. This is exactly what Romans 3.26 says, right? This is, Jesus is the one who not only is the one that's just, it's based on his just nature. When we speak of justice, we know what is just by the nature of God. Injustice is anything that is against the nature of God. His nature is what defines So what we end up seeing is when we talk about justice, it's based on his nature. So therefore, it's because he is just that we can have this, but he's also the justifier. So not only does is it based on his nature, but it's based on what he does. And this is why we can't have anything to do with it. It can't be based on any works or any virtue that we have because it is all of Christ. And so when it, we see in Scripture that he becomes sin, that we can have the righteousness of God, this is what imputation is. This is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Believer, the sins that you committed 
are committing, will commit, were all paid at the cross. That's what Colossians says, Colossians 2. All our trespasses were paid at the cross. And so what you end up seeing is every sin we've ever committed, are committing, will commit, they're all post-cross. All of them. So we shouldn't beat ourselves up over sins like, oh, God, God, how could you forgive me? I deserve, we do deserve, but it's been paid for. And there are Christians who still live in guilt, thinking somehow they can't be forgiven. Christ took the full weight of sin for the believer on himself at the cross and paid it there so that we could be set free. Even more, not only are we set free from the punishment of sin, but what should really blow your mind as a believer is that he gives us the righteousness of himself. So we no longer have in God's eyes, when he looks at us, we don't have that guilt of sin. He's not looking at us as the sinner we are. He looks at us through the eyes of the righteousness of Christ. He he sees the Christ's righteousness. L- let me just give a, a quick story from R.C. Sproul, a great book he has called The Prince's Dirty Clothes, a children's book with the purpose of teaching this doctrine of imputation. So yes, you can teach a child the doctrine of imputation. And that's what R.C. wanted to do is to expose that and show that by writing a child's book. It was his first children's book. And now he, then he wrote a whole series of them. So, but what the whole idea is you have this priest and he's got dirty clothes. And yes, I'm going to ruin the end of the book for you. So sorry, Spencer, I know you guys are going to go get this book for your kids. <laughs> and yeah, you we should. were going <laughs> to. Now we're going to know the ending. I mean, I don't yeah, know. It's a great book. Well, the kids won't know the ending, but I would read the book to my kids multiple times. So they knew the ending and still loved it. But, and I'm going to do it for my grandchildren. But the whole idea is you have this priest and he's on his way to before the king and on the route, he falls off his horse and he's got dirty clothes and he can't be presented before the king that way. And so he's told he, he's got to come back and he's going to have a second audience with the king, but he's got to be cleaned up and he goes to get it cleaned and the guy can't get it cleaned. And so he realizes he's in trouble. And the son of the king comes to him and says, I will take care of you. Just show up. And he shows up with his filthy clothes and he he knows there's nothing he could do. He, he's just at the behest of the son of the king looking at to see what can I do? And the son, as he enters in and he he's being told, you cannot be presented before the king that way. And he's like, I'm just doing what I was told by the son. I'm, goes in and the king is like, looks at him, you have filthy clothes. And the son comes down and takes the robes off of the priest, takes his royal robes and puts it around the priest, turns to his father and says, Father, now can the priest be in your presence? And the whole picture of that is in a small way, it's not a great illustration, but it's, it's as best as humans can do to describe this. That is what happens. We stand before God in our filthiness, and Jesus Christ takes our filthy clothes off of us and puts on his robe of righteousness, turns to the Father and says, now, look at the child. That is what we we have in imputation. This is what justification is, that we had our sinful deeds that we did paid by Jesus Christ, and then he 
gives to us his righteousness. So at the judgment seat of God, when God looks, he sees his own righteousness on us. Now, it's not just as if we never sinned. It's just as if it's been fully paid Mm. by someone else. And in exchange, he gave us all of his perfect, infinitely holy righteousness. Mm. Believer, we should not be beating ourselves up if we think that we have sinned and somehow can't be forgiven. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven fully everything. You cannot lose your salvation. Why? It was paid at the cross. And to say that somehow Jesus didn't know some sin you would commit 2,000 years after the cross is to say Jesus is not God. He's omniscient. Mm -hmm. He knew every sin we would commit. And he says he paid it at the cross. And he gives us his righteousness. Is he an Indian giver? that he would give us his righteousness and take it away from us? No, he is not. In fact, that's exactly what what Paul's case that he makes in Romans 11.29, when he says the gifts, speaking of gifts of salvation, the gifts and calling are irrevocable. Hmm. Is God some sort of Indian giver that gives these gifts of his righteousness and then somehow you can make it dirty again? That he he takes the full weight of your sin? No. You see now how when we look at these the theology, how it all comes together. When you have a good biblical theology, it is based in the nature of God. And those who say you can lose your salvation are saying that God somehow is not omniscient, mm-hmm. or they deny Colossians 2.19 to say that he didn't pay all the sin. If he paid all the sin at the cross that he knew of, and he knows of all of them, then they're all paid for. You see how these work together, but I want to encourage you, believer. This is a rejoicing message when we think about the message of imputation and justification. And if you don't know Christ and you're listening, let me encourage you. Hopefully this told you what the gospel message is clearly. It's time to turn from trusting yourself as a good person and turn and trust Jesus Christ. Trust in him alone as a payment of sin so you might have his righteousness and have eternal life. Next week, we'll we'll cover, we'll have Spencer and Nikki on again, covering the doctrine of sanctification. That'll be fun. That'll be a two-parter, I'm sure. But uh, I thank you guys for coming on. And let me just give you guys last minute to plug religionless Christianity. What, what kind of things you guys might be covering soon? Yeah, I mean, we're going to kind of pick back up. So the end of the year, we were kind of walking through for our daily devotionals. We were looking at an Advent devotional from Bonhoeffer. That's done now. We're getting back into the Gospel of Luke. We've started going back through that for our daily devotionals. I guess the great thing with the Saturday podcast, we don't know what the world's going to throw at us in the news. (laughs) Um, We're going to continue to finish for our Bible topics, our assurances of salvation. We've been going through Romans Road. We're going through the book of 1 John and the assurances that we can look at in ourselves to find out if we are saved. So we're going to continue on with that. That's, that's kind of like a continuation of this of this episode right here. It is. <laughs> so there we go. Sense, yeah. so that encourages people to go check out Religionless Christianity. You can find it on the Christian Podcast Community at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And with that, that's a wrap. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity Ministries. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.